Amen. Amen. It's good to sing those songs together. It's good to hear us sing together. You know, every time you come to church, you sign up to be part of the choir, right? The choir that's singing praises to our King. If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, find the book of Ruth, the book of Ruth, the eighth book in your Old Testament. Find the book of Ruth. We introed uh, what I'm calling the original Hallmark Christmas movie last week, and I'm going to do a little recap here in a second. But we're going to look this week at chapters 2 and chapter 3, and rather than read it all, we're going to work our way step by step, kind of watching the story as it unfolds. But let me introduce it this way, because I can tell you about a few moments in my life with so much clarity where I know for a fact God Try again. There we go. Where God spoke to me, and I heard no audible voice from heaven. It didn't come through some inner voice. It wasn't speaking that needed to be added on to the end of the Bible. Rather, God spoke to me through his word and fulfilled his promise that he makes in the book of John that he would bring to remembrance the things that he said. I can distinctly remember one of the clearest moments in my life where God word out of the blue spoke with such loud clarity I felt like he was shouting at me it happened at a youth group cookout of all things that's what happens if you miss youth group God speaks there right and our youth pastor at the time was serving as both the grill master and the joke master as you could imagine and he was cooking he was goofing around not an unusual day and one of the burgers burned. He was too busy goofing off with some kid. Left one of the burgers there, and the burger burned, charred. He had plenty of left for a hungry group there that was in fellowship. And without missing a beat, he placed the spatula under the charred burger, and he launched it into the nearby cornfield and said, that one's for the birds. And then it hit me like a ton of bricks. God brought to mind this scripture from Matthew chapter 6, the words of our Savior. Look at the birds of the field. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? God organized a church, pick, a church cookout where a goofy youth minister would burn a burger so that it might be thrown into a field to provide for a bird. And if God's able to orchestrate all those things together for a feathered creature, what does that mean for us, who are of far more value than they? I had a taste of what the theologians would call, the, the theological word for what I just described is divine providence. God's divine providence. That means God is active in our world, upholding it and directing it according to his purposes. It goes by another name. You might have heard of God's sovereignty, right? There is not a single thing, even a charred burger, that happens apart from the direct action and plan of God. Nothing is by accident. There truly are no coincidences, all is providence, the good and the bad. And yet all of that remains true without negating human responsibility. God fed the birds, but Pastor Tom burned the burger. 
God truly and mysteriously guides all things to his purposes, yet without making us robots, without responsibility. And friends, you could go read millions of pages of philosophers and theologians arguing back and forth about how both of those things can be true. But far more interesting than millions of pages of people droning on, God has given us a book, the book of Ruth, to give something far more powerful a story of God's providence in the life of his children. God's sovereignty and human responsibility beautifully wedded in this story of redemption. We saw last week as it opened that the book of Ruth happens in dark days, in the days the judges rule, the time of spiritual darkness for the people of God. Add to that, there was a famine that had swept the land. And we get introduced to a Hebrew family of six Naomi, her husband Elimelech, their two sons, and their daughters. And due to the famine, they had to leave Bethlehem, which ironically is called the city of bread, and there is no food in the city of bread. They have to go to a country called Moab. And while there, disaster struck. In the first five verses of Ruth, we get over a decade of tragedy. And, we're, and we come last week, and at the end, Naomi is left with just her daughter-in-law, Ruth, who is from the country of Moab. She is what's called a Moabite. And we mentioned last week, the Moabites were considered cursed by the Israelites, an enemy nation. And so here we encounter the central problems that these ladies are facing. We have two widows in need of family to provide for them, living in a foreign nation without food in the midst of the famine. And chapter 1 actually ended with some good news. The ladies heard while working in the fields of Moab that God has visited Bethlehem and the famine has ended. That the city of bread now has bread again. So they make their journey back to Bethlehem and they arrive as the barley harvest is beginning. And we're going to see God's hand and providence and sovereignty over every part of this story, including chapter 2 and chapter 3. They're going to powerfully illustrate these words of Solomon. The heart of man plans his way, but it's the Lord that establishes his steps. And as we walk through Ruth 2 and 3, we'll see the ladies plan and make decisions, and yet God was also working behind the scenes as really the main actor in this whole thing. We're going to see three examples of God's providence in the life of Naomi and Ruth. Three examples of God's providence in the life of Naomi and Ruth. First, we're going to see that God brought them to the right place at the right time. God brought them to the right place at the right time. Look at verse 1. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. The divine narrator wants us to know that as these ladies are coming back into Bethlehem, there is a family member still there, a relative of Naomi's husband named Boaz. And this is good news for these ladies because there was a law in Israel that allowed for the nearest family member to redeem these widows in the midst of their 
uh, destitution in the midst of their need. In these days, if a woman was left as a widow and there was a single member of the husband's family available to marry, or if they weren't single, they were available to take them in and care for them, he was to do so as an act of love for the family and for the continuation of the family line. This is what Deuteronomy 25.5 tells us. If brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no sons, the wife of the dead man shall, be married out, shall not be married outside the family to a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her as his wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. God's providence, right? We're going to try something else, right? But if there were no brothers, it would move to the next available and eligible family member down the line through those who were available. This could mean that they could take the widows in and care for them. And if the man was single and there was available lady, they could marry in together as well. It, was, it also had to do with inheriting all the widows' assets. Who was to take care of this land? Could we keep the land and everything with it in the family? And as these ladies are arriving in Bethlehem, we hear there is an eligible man who could redeem them and possibly even marry one of them. This is good news. But remember, at this point, the ladies don't know this. We're getting told this as readers of the story, but they're just heading back into Bethlehem at these tumultuous times. Ruth is simply out to get some food. Look at verse 2. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after her, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she's going to go and get food. And this is another interesting way God has provided for these widows because there was another law in Israel that allowed for the poor to glean among the fields after the reapers had finished. Leviticus chapter 19 put it this way. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to the edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. See this, he says, hey, leave some margin for the poor in your fields, Israelites. And God had literally provided a way to care for these ladies long before they were even born. God had literally designed to care for a bird through a goofy youth pastor all those many days ago. God is always doing a thousand things at one time. We just only may be aware of two of them. God is always at work. And in these laws, they were put in place so that Ruth, Naomi, and countless other widows could be cared for in the community of Israel. There was food in Bethlehem. They just needed to find someone who was serious about obeying his law and would let them glean in their field. They needed to find the field of a faithful Israelite. Because the law of Israel commanded them to care for foreigners. They not only had widows, they had a Moabite. They had a foreigner among them. Leviticus chapter 19 would say this. 
You shall not treat the stranger who sojourns with you as a native. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as a native among you. And you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. See God's kindness to these ladies. God made provision for them long before they ever got into this situation. God had made sure these ladies were in Israel at the right time with these laws in place to provide for them. Have you ever stopped and given praise for the time God has put you in in history? Has God ever brought you to the right place at the right time? Have we ever considered and given praise to God that he's put us in the 21st century when we have indoor plumbing and air conditioning? Praise God. He didn't have you born likely into an Amish family. Praise God, right? We contribute nothing to where and when we are born. You didn't get to choose your parents. God chose them for you. That was something that was all of his sheer grace. And God has provided for all of us in countless ways. But do we count our blessings as quickly as we count our burdens? These ladies came to the right place at the right time. Second, we see that God brought them to the right field of the right person. God brought them to the right field of the right person. We read that Boaz was a worthy man, meaning he was a faithful, godly Israelite who was going to do what God God had required him to do. And verse 3 tells us this. So she, Ruth, set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. I love that this is good storytelling. She just so happened to come into the field. We know that nothing just so happens to happen, right? This is a great storytelling. God directed the famine to leave Bethlehem. Certainly he could direct Ruth into this field. And she encounters Boaz, and we see him living up to his name. Boaz's name means in God is his strength. He's a worthy man. And Boaz hears about Ruth from his servants. And look how he responds in verse 8. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty... Go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. He provides her protection in the field. Look at her response. Look at verse 10. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your sight that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you've done and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, in whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your 
servants. Boaz is impressed by Ruth. She's been working hard in the field. She's been working circles around the other guys. And she's been, had incredible character. He hears all of her story that she was sharing with those there about the way she's been caring for Naomi. And Boaz recognizes that she has placed her trust, her life, under the wings of God, under God's protection. She is a Moabite, yes, but a Moabite who has joined herself to the God of Israel and to the community of faith. Boaz recognizes this and cares for her as more than a foreigner, but as a fellow Israelite in need. And you might think, why did Boaz do this? Certainly, it's because he desired to obey God's word, right? He's a faithful, godly Hebrew man. But the New Testament tells us this was actually personal to Boaz. If you know how the book of Ruth ends, you can go look this up later. If you don't know how the book of Ruth ends, look this up in two weeks. But if you look at the book of Matthew chapter 1, again, if you don't, 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 I don't want to spoiler alert you here. If you go there, the ending of Ruth is spoiled for you. But we learn there that Boaz is the direct descendant, likely even the son of a woman named Rahab. Rahab was a Gentile woman, right, who hid the Hebrew spies in the days of Joshua. And God brought them to the field of the son of Rahab at the time this foreigner was coming there, and she receives a grand welcome. God brought them to the right field of the right person, and God provided them protection through Boaz. And the incredible thing is God's providence in your life will most often come through means. God does do miraculous acts of providence. Think about the Exodus. We finished studying a few weeks ago. Friends, he parted the sea. That was a miracle. There was no natural explanation for something like that. But more often than not, the way God is going to provide for you is through people, places, and things. Through other people serving you and meeting your needs and you not even knowing what all God is doing behind the scenes. But Boaz isn't simply going to let her take the last of the field as the law requires. He's going to go above and beyond. Look at verse 14. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel into the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. And all and pull all out some of from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. So notice this. He gives her lunch. She gets lunch, and she eats until she's satisfied. And then she even has leftovers in a little box to take home, right? And, and, and Boaz then lets her go back to work, taking the best of the field. Alongside lunch and leftovers, we're told she's going to bring home an ephah of barley, which is around 30 to 40 pounds of grain. Consider the blessing, and consider this woman likely carried this on her back, right? 
the Lord directed her steps from the beginning. She could have ended up in the field of someone who would use or abuse her. She could have ended up in an empty field or in the field of someone who didn't honor God and obey his word. But God directed her steps to the field of a man named Boaz who's able to redeem them and who already has a heart for the foreigner because his mother was Rahab. And she comes back home, all the grain in tow, 30 to 40 pounds of grain on her back. She's got a little box of leftovers for lunch. I'm not sure how she carried all this, but she did. She comes home, and Naomi probably has some questions. Where have you been? Where do you get this much grain? And Naomi is about to put all the pieces together. Look at verse 18. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today and where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. And she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, It's almost like the tension is building. The name, the man's name with who I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Beside he said to me, You shall keep close to my young men until you've finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So keep close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and the wheat harvest. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Naomi starts to recognize how God has put this all together. God's been directing their steps. God didn't just lead Ruth to a place she could get a meal. Naomi's like, Ruth, you've been led to a place where you could get a man. (laughs) Boaz is able to redeem them. And she's like, look, he's a man of character. He's a man of compassion. He provided for her. Let me just say this. The main point of this passage isn't about dating and marriage, but there is some wisdom here for the young people in the room right? Young ladies, find yourself a Boaz, right? A man who, yes, has a large field and can provide, but one who loves you, has character, and cares about your mother, right? There we go, right? There we go. But it's also an invitation for men to see something here. Ultimately, what won Ruth over to, her, over to Boaz wasn't. We don't hear anything about his incredible looks, his giant car. We don't know how much is in his 401k or what he brings home every month, right? But he's a man of character, and that takes time to build. Sometimes before you find the right person, you need to focus on being the right person, Right? There is wisdom here for us, and there's also wisdom in the fact Ruth had to wait for it. Ruth had to wait for this, and there had to be God's timing in everything. You just can't rush it. But the lady saw here that God had provided through Boaz. Verse 20 is key. They're like, the Lord has shown us kindness, covenant, faithfulness, loyalty. God has given us a way. He's brought us out of the foreign land. 
He's brought us to a place where we can get food and the famine is over and now he could give us family back again. Do you recognize that every good gift you have ultimately comes from another? The God uses means to accomplish his purposes, but friends, everything you have ultimately comes from God. Every gift you're going to get for Christmas next week, even the gifts that Santa brings, Jesus gives Santa everything he has, right? All of it comes from another. We work and God works through our work. And this is the last thing we see in this passage. God brought them to the right place at the right time, the right field of the right person, and finally God brought them to the right plan to make the right move. God brought them to the right plan to make the right move. Chapter 3 opens with Naomi, and she has a plan. You've heard about the scheming mother-in-law. But friends, this is a good thing that Naomi's got this plan together because she's about to set these two people up. Naomi says, we don't need to wait in this moment. We need to take matters into our own hands. Ruth, let's get to work. Look at verse 1. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well for you? Is not Boaz our relative, with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, anoint yourself, and go put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go uncover his feet and lay down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replies, all that you say, I will do. Sometimes you have to wait to pursue all that God has for you. And sometimes you've got to see the opportunity in front of you and take it. You got to build character like Boaz. You got to get in the field like Ruth. If you noticed, every time good news came to these ladies, it was while they were working. And then sometimes you got to make a plan like Naomi. Naomi says, Ruth, follow my instructions carefully. There's risk involved, but they needed to move quickly. Boaz is going to be working late at the office in the threshing floor, likely guarding the grain from theft after a long day of work. Naomi tells Ruth, get dressed up, get glowed up, right? Get it all together and go down and make a proposal. To uncover his feet and lay at his feet was that culture's equivalent to getting down on one knee with a ring. And this would have been the point if this was the movie that they would have done that whole thing where where they take her through a montage of her getting ready. Right, And she comes out the other side, makeup, everything done. And so we know from several details in this chapter that Boaz was likely an older man. Notice how much he keeps referring to the young men in his field. That implies he's not a young man. He would have never, as a good, respectable, faithful Israelite, pursued after Ruth. But Ruth needed to go pursue after him. Needed to go, hey, let's cross these cultural boundaries and make the ask. Ruth gets a glow up and gets to work, and she sneaks down, and the story almost goes in slow motion. Ruth chapter 3, verse 6 and 7. She went down to the the threshing floor, just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk, and his heart was merry, 
He went down, he went to lay down at the end of the heap of grain, and she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. There's a lot of God's providence here because she's finding him when he is happy. He has eaten and drank and had a nap, right? So far, so good. Then there's a bump in the night. Verse 8. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet, and he said, Who are you? Men, this is a great question to ask when there's a random woman at your feet in the middle of the night. Who is this? And then she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. She asks, Will you marry me, Boaz? Remember, in chapter 2, it describes coming under God to to be a faithful follower of, of the God of Israel was to be under his wings. And now she comes and says, Boaz, I want to be under your wings, under your care. I am entrusting myself to you. Then verse 10, and he said, May you be blessed of the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. See, he's probably an older man. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. In other words, yes, the plan works, but there is a problem. In verse 12, we get a huge yet in the midst of the whole story. Verse 12 And it is true that I am your redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. There was someone else who had the first right to redeem ahead of them. In these days, this principle of of family redemption proximity mattered. It mattered how close you were to them as to who got the right to do it. And Boaz desired to follow the law as written. And we start to get the climactic music, right? Will he redeem? Will they be torn apart Some of us would at this point take resistance to be a sign that it wasn't God's will to do this. Others of us would go, man, we're just not going to follow the law and go elope to Vegas. But rather, they pressed forward trusting the Lord. We read that Ruth stayed the night. Now, some read that from the gutter. There was nothing inappropriate that occurred here. Likely, this was Boaz protecting her because her wandering out in the middle of the night would not have been a good thing. Stay in the guest room, Ruth, right? He's making sure she was safe, and he sends her home with food for her mother-in-law, who I can only imagine was up all night waiting. What's going to happen with this? He didn't want her to be empty-handed. The irony, Naomi at the end of chapter 1 said, I am a woman who is empty, and yet now she's a woman who's full. And what mark, and what a mark of Boaz's love and integrity, not just for Ruth, he cared for Naomi as well. Ruth followed the plan. She makes the move to ask Boaz to marry her and become her kinsman redeemer. And she returns to Naomi, and the scene goes black with these words. Verse 18, she replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. They had to work, and now they had to wait. 
This is the balancing act of the Christian life. When do you step out in faith and when do you simply sit and trust? When do you work and when do you wait? Because God's providence and his sovereignty gives meaning to both periods in your life. When you've got to take the step forward and when you've got to wait for God to sort it out. God worked through Boaz providing a family. God was working on Naomi. The woman who was once empty is no longer empty-handed. And friends, God was working on Ruth to bring her to this harvest and an encounter in the barley field. Ruth was once a Moabite. She is a Moabite, once considered cursed by God. Yet in verse 11, Boaz calls her the worthy woman. This is the same phrase used in Proverbs 31. He's like, you are the Proverbs 31 woman, Ruth, no longer cursed, but blessed. Friends, never let your past define you. Let God define who you are and what your future will be. God was at work. And just as God was at work in the life of Ruth and Naomi, God is at work in your life. Whether it's a burger on the grill, whether it's the field you're going to go work in tomorrow, do you want proof that God is at work for the good of those who trust him, that God is going to work all things together for your good? Consider Bethlehem with Ruth and Naomi and their unexpected relationship. Or consider Bethlehem a thousand years later, over a thousand years later, when there was a young woman betrothed to an older man named Joseph. And life brought them to an unexpected place. This young virgin named Mary was pregnant, and it wasn't Joseph's. And Joseph gets the news, and he could have done all sorts of things. We opened our service with this, right? But what did he do? He waited. Matthew chapter 1, verse 19 and 20, we read, And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, he he waited, but he also worked in considering these things. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. God gave him confirmation to move forward. And consider Mary, a young woman with incredible with an incredible calling on her life. Angels had appeared to her and declared that the baby she was going to have was the son of God. There's enough stress to be a new mom, but friends, when angels appear at your pregnancy announcement, when God sends representatives to the pregnancy announcement, it kind of brings the pressure a little more on you, doesn't it? But Mary took her assignment by faith. Luke 1, 38, and Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. And bigger than any of this was the mission of their son. Because you want further evidence that God is going to work all things together for good in your life. Just consider that the baby in that wooden manger in a cave was going to grow up to die on a wooden cross and be buried in a cave. 
And he was going to stand up on the third day and empty death and sin in the grave of its power. This son was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. It was killed and crucified by the hands of lawless men. It was by the hands of evil men, yet according to the good plan of God. He'd bring life out of death, salvation for the world, light out of darkness. If today you find yourself in a dark place and you don't know what to do, lay your darkness and your sin on his shoulders and know that if God can make a cross turn into an empty tomb, whatever darkness you find yourself in is nothing by comparison. God will bring good out of your suffering, life out of death, a resurrected Savior out of, an, out of a cross and a crucifixion. Trust God, wait, work, and press forward, empowered by his grace. Let's stand, let's pray, and let's prepare to respond to God together. Because some of us today find ourselves in the midst of unimaginable darkness and trial, Some of us just find ourselves at a normal day's work like Boaz did, a normal Sunday. But all of us today come to him knowing that he's able to take the mundane and the dark and bring good out of it in Jesus' name. Let's stand. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we are thankful that you are a God who brings life out of death. You're a God who is able to bring Ruth to the right place at the right time, to the right field of the right man, to make a right plan, to make a right move, that you might redeem their family out of brokenness and bring them into life. And God, you're able to do the same in our life, and you were able to do the same with a baby in the manger in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. The right time, the right place to grow up, to do the right work, to die on a cross in our place, to take our evil and our sin upon himself, and then to bring him on the third day to newness of life, that all who follow and trust in him might experience everlasting life, hope for the future, and might know that all the darkness in the world will never conquer the light of God. As we respond now, we respond in faith and ask that we commit ourselves to you in this moment. And we ask and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to respond first by just listening to his word. And we'll finish up.
God said.